0: Here's your host, Dane Carlson. Our episode today is brought to you by Cathode Ray Media. Cathode Ray is a full-service marketing agency that connects government organizations to their communities. Visit cathoderay.com, that's K-A-T-H-O-D-E-R-A-Y.com to learn more or ask for a free, no-obligation consultation. Welcome back to the Econ Dev Show. Our guest today is Colin Graybow. Colin is a research fellow at the Cato Institute's Herbert A. Stifel Center for Trade Policy Studies. There, his research focuses on domestic forms of trade protectionism, such as the Jones Act and the US Sugar Program. Colin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Dane. Absolutely. So the Econ Dev Show is a podcast for economic developers by economic developers. I'm an economic developer. And I represent Galveston County, Texas, which is the coastal part of greater Houston. And I'm always talking to people about the Jones Act and the problems that it causes for us and how it stifles our development. And I find that most people have no idea what I'm talking about. So I thought that today I should bring you on so that you could explain exactly what it is, why it's bad, and I guess how we got here and and where we go from here.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of ground cover. Uh, So for starters, you have the Jones Act is Section 27 of the Merchant Marine Act of 1920, which essentially states that if you want to transport goods by water within the United States, you have to use a vessel that meets four conditions. That's that the vessel is uh, U.S. flagged and registered. It is built in the United States. It is at least 75% owned by American citizens and it has to be crewed by Americans. I think, you know, maybe some people listen to that and go, well, that doesn't sound so bad. You know, American ships flying American flags uh, built here in the U.S., American crews, what, what's the problem here? And the problem is that these ships are incredibly expensive and inefficient. Uh, to uh, build a Jones Act ship costs about five times more uh, than one built in another country. So actually this week, literally I think yesterday, a Jones Act ship was delivered by a shipyard in Texas. This is a pretty rare thing. Um, It's the only Jones Act ship that we've built this year. There's only one built last year. And it was built there in Texas. Well, the price tag for this ship was uh, over $225 million. Over in South Korea, a ship of a similar size, you can get for uh, about $41 million. So these ships are... Five times the international price. So that's just the capital costs. Then you have the operating costs to operate these ships. And uh, they're about three times more expensive to operate. So you take ships that are very expensive to build, very expensive to operate, and you know the inevitable result is very expensive shipping. And that's a real problem for a country as big as the United States where we need to transport goods over long distances to uh, trade with each other. It's particularly a problem for Texas and the Gulf Coast more broadly with energy producers. So, for example, Texas, of course, exports lots of crude, exports it all over the world, sends it to China, India, uh, Singapore. But we don't send that much of it to the Gulf Coast. Uh, I'm sorry, to the the East Coast, to refineries on the East Coast. Uh, East Coast refineries get the majority of their oil not from Americans, but from foreigners. You know, they'll import it from as far away as Saudi Arabia, because once you factor in the cost of shipping, it often makes much more sense to buy the foreign product than the American product. Same thing for refined products. Of course, the Gulf Coast is home to a lot of uh, nation's top refineries. But again, after you factor in the cost of transport, it makes more sense for folks on the East Coast to, you know, say import uh, refined products from the Netherlands uh, than, than the Gulf Coast. Um, And then we get to the case of uh, liquefied natural gas. The United States last year was the world's second leading exporter of liquefied natural gas. And yet, because of the Jones Act, we cannot send it to other parts of the United States. For example, Puerto Rico. Uh, Puerto Rico uses natural gas for something like one-third, 40% of its uh, electricity generation. And last year, the amount of LNG they bought from, from the U.S. mainland was zero. None. Why? Uh, because there are no ships to comply with the Jones Act to transport it. Uh, so they can't transport because there, there are no ships. You know, some people may listen to that and say, well, Colin, that seems like an easy problem to solve. Go build the ship, put an American flag on it, and, and, and there you go. Well, the issue is, you know, according to the Wall Street Journal, to build one of those ships in Asia, one of these specialized LNG carriers, cost $200 million dollars. Whereas in the United States, it's at least seven hundred million dollars. That's a five hundred million dollar delta in price. So the math just doesn't out, it. it makes no sense. Um, so I could go on, but you know that, that those are some starters. And you know, obviously, I focus on Texas, I focus on energy, but this applies much more broadly. Essentially, the Jones Act gums up our, our transportation networks and makes it less inefficient. and it makes it more difficult for Americans to trade and do business with other
0: Americans. That's exactly what I say all the time. And how did this, you know, come about? Because this, from what I understand, this has been on the books for a very long time. And plainly, there was a reason that this act, the Jones Act was created. When was that? And why was that?
1: Yeah. So as I mentioned, the Jones Act is part of the Merchant Marine Act of 1920. So a lot of people think, well, okay, so it's a, you know, a hundred and three year old law. But, uh, it's not as though prior to that, we had this total free market environment where you could go use any ship you wanted, built anywhere. Uh, no. In fact, we've had laws very similar to the Jones Act going back almost to the country's founding. Uh, back, you know, one of the first acts of Congress, and I believe 1789, was passed a bill that uh, said, okay, you can use foreign ships to transport goods, but they're going to pay a lot heavier taxes than if you use an American ship. And then in 1817, we flat out prohibited the use of, of foreign ships and foreign-built ships. Um, but the context was very different. Back then, we were a new country. We didn't have a big navy. And one way of compensating for that is you could take merchant ships and load cannon onto them and, and have uh, basically you know, privateers uh, and, and kind of auxiliary naval force. And it wasn't very costly. Uh, back then, uh, the United States, we were some of the world's best shipbuilders, at least expensive. Uh, That's not a big surprise when you consider that the 13 original states uh, all along the coast, uh, a lot of people that uh, were familiar with shipbuilding, uh, you, back then this is a day of wooden ships and sails, and uh, we had plentiful forests, lots of raw materials to build those ships with. Um, so it was, it was low cost, and you could argue there was a real necessity for it, when our pre- biggest rivals of the time were you know the British Navy. Um, well, you know, time passes, And these very efficient American shipbuilders uh, became steadily less so. And then we had the switch from, uh, you know, wooden ships to uh, iron ships and steel ships. Um, And Americans didn't keep up. And by, you know, 1870, if not earlier, American ships were considerably more expensive, you know, 20 to 50% more expensive than foreign ships. And Americans are looking for ways around using um, these expensive American ships. And uh, one way of doing this, in Alaska, they uh, found out that one something they could do is they could send goods to and from Alaska through Vancouver. So you put the goods on a train up to Vancouver, offload it, and you could do foreign shipping to go to Alaska. Well, you know who really hated this were Seattle-based shipping companies, and they were represented in Congress by Senator Wesley Jones. So in 1920... A merchant Marine uh, Bill comes along and these lobbyists say, uh, Senator Jones, we think it'd be a really good idea if you would change the law to prohibit people from using these foreign ships uh, in the Alaska trade. And they proposed some language at one of the hearings. And if you look at what the Jones Act, uh, the language today, it's, it's it's you know 90% of basically what these lobbies proposed. And that's how we got to where we are today.
0: Okay, so they were taking the goods, but they were taking the goods to Canada and then shipping them to... The United States to so, the, to
1: Alaska, yes, and and the reverse, right.
0: right. So the Jones Act, as I understand it, it, it doesn't allow you to go between two American ports.
1: Yeah, Is but even if you send it, say, to a foreign port and then to the U.S., it still doesn't work. If it starts and finishes in the United States, you cannot use. Oh, vessels. okay, okay, yeah.
0: yeah. So this was originally, um, you know, in- intended to obviously protect the shipping companies in Seattle. And it sounds like this was designed to protect our shipbuilding industry and to create American jobs and to protect American interests. But how is it, you know, the times have changed. We're not required to buy American vehicles to transport goods. We don't buy, we're not required to, you know, buy American trains or American airplanes to transport goods. Why is this law still in effect? for the shipping industry?
1: I think it's best explained by uh, same sort of dysfunction you find with all kinds of protectionist laws. Why is this silly law still in place? While there's a constituency that's very committed to maintaining this, this is uh, the U.S. shipbuilders, no surprise. You have to buy what they make. Uh, it is the, the unions, the crew, a lot of these Jungzak ships, and it's gonna be the vessel operators. Um, you know, they don't want foreign competition. And meanwhile, uh, you, you mentioned earlier in our conversation that you talked to a lot of people and they kind of scratch their heads. Uh, when you mentioned the Jones Act, they're not really familiar with the, what that is. Your average person does not know what the Jones Act is. In fact, uh, there was an episode of Jeopardy! a few years ago where the category was Puerto Rico. And, you know, one of the, one of the answers uh, was the Jones Act. And none of the contestants knew. So um, the dynamic is that most people aren't aware And the people that really care about the law, they're most invested in it, pay attention, vote accordingly, donate accordingly, are those that
0: want to maintain it in place. And I think that our politics reflect that. So there's a vested interest in keeping it this way. It it sounds like, and it it has always appeared to me, that the rest of the country, it's in direct opposition, to their interests every little town with port or on a river major navigable river with a with a port all of those they're the ones that are losing out so if they just knew that this was the issue you know could they i don't know turn the tide could they uh lobby their elected officials to sort of move this along is that the only option that we have you would think but
1: um it's It's instructive what goes on in Hawaii, Alaska, and Puerto Rico. These are obviously places that are very, you know, particularly impacted by the Jones Act because they have to rely on ocean shipping. Uh, You know, those of us in the mainland, we're we're fortunate that we can uh, take advantage of trucking and rail. There's other ways of moving goods from point A to point B, Uh, whereas these folks, they don't have that option. Um, So you would think there would be, you know, groundswell support uh, for changing the law. And in fact, if you look at opinion polls that have been done in Hawaii, among people that are aware of the Jones Act, which is a good chunk, um, something like 90% of them favor either repealing it entirely or doing some significant reforms. And yet, both senators from Hawaii support the Jones Act. Both senators from Alaska, as well as um, their one member of the House, all support the Jones Act. Um, there is only one member of Congress from Hawaii who opposes the Jones Act. And he said in an interview, he said, Look, um, I, when I was in the State House, I just said, Hey, um, this Jones Act thing, it seems worth investigating. Can we just do a report or a study about this? And he said, It was like the sky opened up and um, everyone just, it was like apocalyptic, you know, the response. Uh, oh, my goodness, we can't, you know, you want to talk about the Jones Act? Um, because the you know the political dynamics are such, you know, um, you know senator uh, senator um, one of the senators from Alaska, um, Dan Dan um, Dan Sullivan, on his uh, campaign website he has a, a list of the endorsements that he's received and it's twenty some different groups that have endorsed him and you know four or five of those are maritime groups. Uh, so again, they're very invested in that. And what's particularly odd about the Alaska example beyond the fact that Alaska, you know, was the target of the Jones Act, it's the original victim of the Jones Act, is that in 1984, the uh, voters of Alaska, they passed a referendum mandating, uh, they wrote into a state law that one of the governor's official duties is to lobby for repeal of the Jones Act, and yet (laughs) their entire delegation supports it. Uh, it just oh, shows my. it's really a testament to the power of, of special interests and people that are, you know, uh, committed to uphold these sorts of laws.
0: If the Jones Act was to be repealed, and you know these foreign ships could transport goods, you know, inside the United States, what would be the impact on the country?
1: Yeah, I, I you know, I think it would. Um, there would be a number of things if we were to repeal the Jones Act. A number of benefits I think we would see. Uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier. I think the most immediate, and obvious impact would it be it'd be easier for Americans to get access to American goods. You know, East Coast refiners would use a lot more American crude oil. Um, we would see, you know, Puerto Rico uh, would use a lot more American you know, natural gas. We know this because right next to Puerto Rico is the Dominican Republic. And the United States is the largest supplier of LNG to the Dominican Republic. Meanwhile, Puerto Rico can't get access to it not despite being part of the united states but precisely because they're part of the united states and therefore subject to the jones act um so we'd see you know more efficient energy flows is an obvious one we've also seen other industries like for example uh you know the 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 lumber industry uh they complained for years saying our competitors in canada well when they export to the united states they can use efficient international shipping if we want to send to other parts of the united states we're stuck with jones act shipping that puts us on the back foot Uh, We've seen, uh, you know, I saw a government report noting that the steel industry, um, that one reason uh, Western states would import more foreign steel instead of American steel is the cost of transporting it because of the Jones Act from, you know, Eastern steel producers to the West. So things like that. But there are other, you know, I think less obvious, less seen benefits, Um, you know, for example, all those ships that have to go all these extra distances, you know, importing stuff from. You know, Puerto Rico importing from Oman instead of the U.S. Well, that's more, you know, carbon emissions. Um, we've seen in the past, for example, earlier this year, there was an article about traffic congestion in Connecticut. And the author, the journalist who wrote the piece, he talked to a couple of guys that they tried to start a service along the East Coast. They thought, hey, we can take these trucks off highways, put it on ships and bypass all that traffic. And they said, but we, we did our business plan and then we realized that to buy these ships would be three times the cost of buying one in Europe. And we just, you, you can't make the economics work with that. So, you know, we could see things like traffic uh, alleviation um, by, you know, shifting more cargo to, to water. Uh, also, the Jones Act is a, it's a trade barrier, of course. And our mm-hmm. allies uh, and trade partners often complain. They say, guys, this Jones Act, we'd love to sell you some ships. Uh, and if you did that, you know, maybe we could give ground on, on some things that you're interested in. For example, the Europeans uh, complain a lot about the Jones Act, and Americans complain a lot about Europeans blocking access to American agricultural goods. Well, there's an obvious deal to be struck here where you know, we send them more agricultural products, which a win for our farmers, and um, in return, you know, we can get access to more efficient ships and shipping. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, benefits you know, beyond the obvious economic ones, there's environmental ones too, and um and and trade uh trade trade benefits as well.
0: Touching back on an economic one, uh shipping via water is so much cheaper than almost any other um mode of transport. And,
1: yes. It should be. Know. It should be. Yeah. You know, we we've made it and and you know cost prohibitive. Uh When it comes to the U.S., especially the use of of ocean-going ships, you know, Americans are better when it comes to to barges are a little bit uh, more competitive, you know, on the the rivers and such. Yes, we've disincentivized the use of what should be a very efficient way of moving goods from point A to point B, uh, especially when it comes to, you know, large bulk products. So you're moving agricultural goods, moving energy products. Uh, Shipping is usually a great way of doing that. Uh but unfortunately, yeah, we got to a place where um yeah, I, I remember last year there was an article I think in Bloomberg about how uh gas prices had become so high in New York that they were get ready for this, using a couple of Jones Act ships to move product from the Gulf Coast up there because, you know, things were so crazy there and people so know, the bad, prices were right. so high it actually justified use of using ships. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Shipping should be one of your go to means of moving goods, you know, under normal circumstances. But, you know, we've made it an act of desperation.
0: That's crazy. That is, it's just absolutely insane. The other counter argument to this is, don't we want more manufacturing in the United States? Don't we want to build more stuff here? Don't we want to employ more Americans in good, high-paying jobs, building things, um, you know, manning these ships, all of that? What, What do you say to that? What do you say to that argument?
1: Yeah, a few things. Well, number one, um, I think it's hard to make the case that this law is doing a good job of employing many Americans in building ships. You know, as I mentioned uh, earlier, you know there was one Jones Act ship being built this year. Uh, one was built last year in 2021. There were zero Jones Act ships delivered. Next year, we're on track for zero. Now, granted, there are you know um, tugboats and barges and smaller vessels like that, that that are built, but when it comes to large ocean-going ships. Yeah, we've made them so inefficient and expensive that uh, there's really little appetite to buy them. So it's not keeping uh, very many people employed. Also, you know, as I mentioned earlier, transportation is is an input, um, is is a cost factor for our manufacturing sector. Uh, I mentioned earlier about how it undermines the steel industry, for example, and uh, and, the, and the lumber industry, and I'm sure other industries uh, as well. So if you want to give our manufacturers a competitive edge, let's stop putting them on the back foot when it comes to their transportation costs. So I think we would, we would uh, support our manufacturing industry by uh, repealing this law. Um, so, yeah, it, it really falls short on its promise. We're not building ships. And then also when you look at these ships... So, for example, the ship that was built, uh, delivered earlier this week in Texas. Um, people say, well, yeah, it's a U.S.-built ship. Well, is it? How American is it? It was assembled in the United States. But look at where all the components came. From. Um, you know, the propeller, I believe, was uh, from China. Um, numerous parts you know, were actually from China. A bunch were from South Korea and other places. Uh, So what typically happens for these Jones Act ships is that a lot of parts are are brought to the United States and the Americans assemble them. Um, So if you look at the content, the value add, a lot of it is foreign. These are in many ways foreign ships. I mean, the shipyard itself uh, is uh, in Texas is foreign owned. It's owned by a Singaporean firm. And I'm a free trader. I have nothing against people importing goods and foreign investment. But let's not kid ourselves that these are employing lots of Americans. There's a huge American supply chain here. That's just not the reality of of American shipbuilding.
0: Are there any other uh, additional requirements on the ship if it's a Jones Act certified ship, other than it be built in the United States and flagged and owned and all of that stuff? But are there any technical specifications that make the ships better?
1: right yeah so this is a, a question you get sometimes people you know, they hear these contrasting price tags and they think okay well maybe you're getting more for the american ship you know it's a better right. quality ship but no um these these ships not only are they built with foreign components but they're usually designed uh but ba- the, the designs they use are foreign designs they're based off of uh, uh foreign models um, so for example uh, in, in Hawaii, there's a, a ship used um, that is almost a carbon copy of um, a ship built by a Croatian shipyard a decade ago. So the way Jones Act shipyards spin this is they go, well, we're using proven designs. Well, they are, they are and they are proven, but they are foreign. Um, and furthermore, let's keep in mind that uh, these ships, to, to operate a ship, you need insurance. And to get insurance you need to sign off by something called a classification society and these are groups that basically they they inspect the ships and they say yes this is up to code this is up to standard this meets regulations um so there's nothing special about these american ships that make them better quality again they're built using foreign designs uh and using foreign components sometimes even by foreign-owned shipyards so no there's uh, uh, there's no evidence these are superior in fact There's been evidence in the past the the american built ships are inferior to what you find abroad. And that's for the simple reason that, um, you know, American shipyards, they don't build many ships. And the more you do something, the better you are at it. Just practice makes perfect. Uh, So, you know, your average uh, welder in an American shipyard just has less experience than his foreign counterpart. Things like that. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to go so far as to say, you know, as a as, as rule of thumb, these American ships are worse, but there have been document instances in the past of, of criticism of the quality of American ships.
0: That's Yeah, that's crazy. Um, if the Jones Act was repealed and there was now these foreign ships plying our water, going between, you know, points, what would that do to the shipbuilding industry in the United States? Would it go yeah, away could, entirely? Would it get better? You know, yeah.
1: Yeah, That, that that's a great question. And, uh, you know, obviously I can only take a stab at this because we've had this environment for you know, almost since the, the founding of the country. Um, so you kind of t- have to take some educated guesses here as, as to what it would look like. And before I do, let me answer, let me point out one other thing about, uh, you know, US versus uh, foreign built ships. As, as you mentioned, I mean, we already have foreign ships in our waters right now. So, you know, repealing Jones, that doesn't mean all of a sudden these inferior ships are plying our, our waterways. You have no evidence of that. It's just the ships that are already here, We just get to use them more. Right. Um, because remember, they come in, in and out of our ports every day carrying uh, goods from other countries. But to get to your question, uh, my guess is I think the U.S. shipbuilding industry would certainly look different uh, than it does today. Um, I don't think we would build large ocean going ships. Um, I think a lot of that work would go over to Asia where they, um, you know, Japan, China, and South Korea, they build 90 something percent of the ships in the world, but I think it might look more like Europe, uh, where they don't build these massive cargo ships, but they build, you know, highly specialized smaller ships, you know, like Norway, for example, specializes in, uh, um, fishing vessels and, the Netherlands specializes in dredging vessels, and Finland is world renowned for icebreaking ships. Uh, uh, you know, the Germans and the French and the Italians build cruise ships, uh, so they build you know high-end specialized ships. And I see no reason why Americans can't do that. Too. Uh, you know, you look at Americans, where have very competitive uh, auto industry. Uh, Americans obviously were world leaders in aerospace. Um, I, it just boggles the mind to me that this notion that in the Jones Act's absence that Americans would have you know some of the most innovative, productive people in the world, the world's most largest, most you know, advanced economy who have nothing to offer the world uh, of shipbuilding, of commercial shipbuilding. Um, you know, I'm skeptical of that. And the last thing I'll point out is that shipbuilding itself will not go away in the Jones Act's absence, if for no other reason than something like 80% of shipbuilding revenue in this country is not building commercial Jones Act ships. It's building stuff for the Navy uh, and government, other government contracts like the Coast Guard and uh, NOAA. Um, you know, that's where the real money is. And our biggest shipyards don't build anything uh, commercial. You know, Newport News Shipbuilding builds our aircraft carriers. They haven't built a Jones Act ship or commercial ships in the 1990s. And they lost money when they tried to do that. At the Ironworks in Maine, uh, they haven't built a commercial ship since 1984. Um, you know, ships uh, in Mississippi, Pasadena, Cula, uh, uh, Huntington Ingalls, they haven't built a uh, commercial ship since the 90s either, or tried to. So the bread and butter for most shipyards is government contracts. That's what keeps them in business. And so I think, you know, people that are concerned that absent the Jones, say, hey, Colin, what if you're wrong? What if Americans aren't very good at commercial ships? We're still going to be shipbuilding in this country. You know, that's that's government contract. That's what's driving the shipbuilding industry we have today.
0: That's fascinating. That yeah, that's good to know. Well, um, is there are, are there any questions that I haven't asked that we absolutely just have to cover on this topic? Because you know, you just seem like you're absolutely the expert on this. This is great.
1: Well. Yeah, I mean, so, so try to, you know, steel man the case for the Jones Act, try to make my best pitch for it, or at least, you know, say, what would a person try to defend the Jones Act say in favor of it? Well, you know, I, I think that their argument would be, well, we need the Jones Act um, to ensure that we have ships to transport um, supplies and equipment for the military in times of war. You know, that the U.S. flag requirement means that there are U.S. flag ships that, we could, that the military can use. And the shipbuilding requirement means that we have shipyards that can build and repair ships. And the U.S. crew requirement means we have trained American mariners that can crew these ships. So that's you know, the, the case for the law. And you know my response to that is, well, okay, that, that's the theoretical case, but just match that up against observable reality. And in terms of shipbuilding, again, we're barely building anything. Uh, you know, in the last 20 years, we've built an average of something like less than three ships per year. For context, a single shipyard in South Korea, um, this year is supposed to build forty-seven. That's one shipyard you know, by itself. Oh um, the number of Jones Act ships. How good is it in preserving this fleet and ensuring we have lots of ships? Well, back in nineteen eighty, there were two hundred fifty-seven Jones Act ships. Today, there are ninety-three. Um, you know, we've made it so uncompetitive that Jones Act ships are only used uh, basically to transport goods, you know, to and from. Hawaii, Alaska, Guam, Puerto Rico, and to transport um uh you know, refined products to a place like Florida where that aren't served by pipelines and where the distances are so short they can compete sure. with, with, with foreign uh ships. That's that's basically what the Jones Act fleet does. Uh the ocean going fleet. That again, the one that people say we need for national security. Um, you know, furthermore, the US military has said leader the head of U.S. Transportation Command testified before Congress a couple of years ago. He said, "Look, in times of war, when we do the war gaming, um, we don't count on the use of Jones Act ships um, because they're they're busy you know, for the simple reason that well, if we take those ships away, you know, who's going to take those goods to Hawaii or you know wherever mm-hmm. else they're needed? We, we would undermine the U.S. economy. Um, in fact, we have another fleet um, of American flagships, but." foreign-built. So these are non-Jones Act ships. These are ships that have crewed by Americans, have the American flag, but are barred or prohibited from transporting goods within the United States, operate entirely in foreign trade. And we subsidize them, 60 of those ships, uh, $5.3 million a year. And we say, here's a subsidy. And in exchange for that, if there's a war or some kind of national emergency, we get the right to use your ship. My attitude is, you know, we need more ships, expand the subsidy by all means let's give the military what they need uh and last thing in terms of crew members you know the government has done studies showing that there's a deficit we have enough uh, trained mariners in times of war so i just think by all reasonable metrics the law isn't working and let's, let's let's get rid of it and let's do things that actually work are more effective and more efficient
0: well that's fantastic that that is my uh take as well and now you've given me all kinds of uh, new tidbits that I can use in support of this. So I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today and, and talking to us about this.
1: Well, Dan, I really appreciate it. I've enjoyed it as well.